even death on a cross and became our servant. Therefore, God lifted him to the highest place possible of all thrones and authorities. This divine God, this Messiah, this Savior is here this morning to serve you and me. How the greatest can be a servant is what we were looking at last week. And we looked also that passage as Isaiah when God spoke and said the condition of the world and the message that need to be given to those who wouldn't listen or hear or, or, or be interested in who will speak for us, who will go for us, speaking with regard to the Trinity. And then, surprisingly, this guy stands up, here I am, without him even knowing what the call was or what he's supposed to do. Here I am, without the agenda being set out before him. Here I am, send me. Isaiah, you go. And there's a chance in our life, a one-off chance in our life, when we can say, here am I, responding to the call. I'm here, don't know what you want me to do, but I want to do it, because I'm your servant. Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, set my people free so that they might serve me. God is looking for those servants. I think being a servant this morning is the dream job. It's the absolute job. It's the job that we need to apply for. I want the dream job. Keep it in mind. Let's look for that job. I mean, my niece, as I've told you, was a, uh, got the dream job. She was the, the uh, attendant to um, Princess Diane and, uh, and followed her and was with her during her life. And her husband was a butler to the queen. Dream job, servants. When I was 15 years of age, I left school. I wanted to go desperately to art college. I think I've told you this story before, but it applies to what I want to say today. And my dad decided, you're not going to waste your time going to art college, boy. Even though I got a place, I'll get you a job. And he came home one day and announced, just as my education was finishing in school, secondary school I went to, he said, I've got you a job. And I said, what is it, Dad? He said, I've got you a job as a mechanic, trainee mechanic at the local garage. This garage is just starting up. You're going to be working for them. And on the day that I was 15, I left and I worked in that place. Because it was a new business, they bought this big premises and they got a master engineer who was the foreman. And he was one clever guy. He really was. And I was the very first apprentice to join the team and this guy, I was given to this guy, and he was going to train me as an engineer. I didn't stay an engineer very long because I was useless at it. So I went to, into body work and body repair, and I became good at that. But this guy who was in charge of me 
became not just my boss, he became my master. And at 15 years of age, he was so incredibly aggressive and so cruel and so dominating, he would hit me, he would punch me, he would throw hammers at me, he would throw things at me. And for some peculiar reason, he didn't like me. There was something within me he didn't like. And I come from a nice household. I wasn't abusive. I wasn't a swearer. I wasn't a cursor. I wasn't a guy on the streets or anything. There was nothing aggressive. But he must have seen some weakness in me. And he played into that. And he held me for the years of my training almost as a slave. I used to get up at five o'clock in the morning. This was a rush job on. I had to go in. I had to come home at eight o'clock in the evening. And he appealed to my dad, save me from this guy. He said, no, that's real life. You've got to do it. No, he can't be doing that to you. But this guy was so incredibly cruel to me. The business grew. They took another people. He wasn't cruel to the others. But for me, he was. And I felt like a slave. And I just buckled down. I worked hard to try and please him. I just couldn't do it. I left that work. And I went because I felt that I got a call to go into the ministry. And I shared the gospel with him and others. And maybe that's what he didn't like. And I went to Bible college. I left. And many years later, I went and worked for You for Christ and other things. Some years later, I heard that this wicked, cruel, abusive, abuser and blasphemer had become a Christian it was the worst man I've ever met in my life and he'd become a Christian and I went back to work to visit them all some years later and before me he was the loveliest nicest, kindest man you'd ever meet and he was so proud that I got into the ministry and his grandson became a Christian and his grandson became a vicar in the Church of England God saved him God saved him and I served him all those years and he just abused me I was a slave but I tell you this I might have been a slave inside. But through Jesus Christ, I was free. And through my choice and submission, knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, knowing it was like to be a slave to a wicked boss, I chose to be a slave of Jesus Christ because of his love and his mercy, and his beauty, and his majesty, and his glorious power, I will submit to him. I am today a bondservant to Jesus. And in Rome, the days of Rome, probably two-thirds of the population were slaves or had been slaves one time or another. Now acting slaves, but others that had been slaves, but now were free. They stepped out of slavery, and now they're free. 
but a whole crowd of them decided that they were free, and they were free indeed, but yet they wanted to serve their masters who'd been so good to them. And so they voluntarily decided to bond themselves to their previous slave owner and be a servant to them. And they did it with grateful hearts. And they received all the benefits and all the pluses of doing that. And all the credit to them and, 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 and all the blessings that came from that. And they lived that way. They loved that. So I choose to be a bondservant to Jesus Christ and to serve him and him alone. I am his bondservant. Now the slave, the word slave, is it has negative connotations. But in fact, when you see it in terms of submitting your whole life to Jesus Christ and becoming his servant, you realize the blessings and the honor and the glory and the rewards that come with that because not only are you a servant, you're a son and a daughter, an heir of glory. You are redeemed and you're transformed. You're part of heaven's glory. You're part of the perfect plan of God. But today you serve him gratefully in all that he wants you to do. In Isaiah 9 and 27, it's coming up on the screen. Just going to highlight a couple of points. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And the people, verse 2, walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you have enlarged the nations, and you have increased their joy. And they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar that's across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Friends, this has happened to us. What dominated my life has dominated your life. The Bible says that we're slaves to sin. We're all slaves, we're slaves to sin. And gives us the invitation to be the servant of righteousness. For unto us a child is born. Unto us this child is born. Unto us, for us, our servant God gives a servant Jesus. To us a son is given. And is he just any old son? No. The government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the greatness of a government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Establish, upholding it with justice, righteousness. From that time on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Whose idea was this? This was the Savior's idea. This was the Trinity's idea to serve you and me on planet Earth. It's a plan for planet Earth. For unto us, this child was born. It says in Mark 
10.45, the son of man, this child, didn't come to be served as you would a king, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, he is the servant saviour. I want to tell you this, that every servant of Jesus Christ is a saviour. Your servanthood, your application, your skill, your obedience will be the catalyst of change. It will save situations. The times I've said to people when they've come along at the right time, thank God you've saved me. Thank God that, that saved me. That word saved me. That kindness saved me. That choice saved me. That friendship saved me. Saviour servants. Terry Waite, you'll know the story. Special servant envoy to the Archbishop. He was a negotiator. He was a humanitarian. He went to Lebanon to try and negotiate the freedom of Britons that had been captive, held in captive uh, under the Islamic um, fundamentalists. He was risking a lot, but he went to negotiate their freedom. They took him as hostage when he arrived, the fundamentalists, and they imprisoned him. But they didn't just imprison him, they beat him, they put him in solitary confinement, they performed mock executions on him, him thinking he was going to die at any moment. He slept on the floor, concrete floor. They chained him to the wall for 23 hours of each day. There was no light in his room at all. This is a man, an envoy from the archbishop from this country to negotiate the freedom of some Britons that were held in captivity. And for almost five years... He served in that prison as a captive. And this is what he said. And this he kept repeating to himself. You, to his jailers, you have the power to break my body, to bend my mind, but not my soul. Because it doesn't belong to you. My soul belongs in the hands of God. This servant of Great Britain, it went horrifically wrong for him, but he served still because he knew that what man could do for him would not touch his soul. His soul was in the hands of God. What a price. What a price, I ask myself, am I paying to be a servant of Jesus Christ? When I was in You for Christ and Let's Use for Christ, and you know this story, I went to Yorkshire and I lived in Yorkshire for a while and I just lost my way. I'd been to Bible college, trained for the ministry, been a leader in Youth for Christ in Bristol and so on. 
and some depression came over me that I've never experienced in my life before. I'm not a natural depressive. I'm an optimistic guy. But this darkness came over me so deep, so deep, and for so long. And my wife and young, my family were young that I, I actually planned my suicide. And one guy came to my side, one guy. I hadn't seen him for years, a guy called Ken McGreevy. And for some reason, he phoned me and said, I'm coming to see you. He came to see me. Then he discovered what was happening inside of me. And he said, I'm going to ring you every single day because I was afraid I would commit suicide. I'm going to phone you every day at a certain time, two o'clock in the afternoon. Be there. I want to talk with you. And he kept that up until one day I got released of this darkness and broke through. And the light of God came into my life again. He served me. He saved my life. He just served and served and served. No one asked him to. I didn't ask him to. He just did it because he felt that God said, get alongside this guy in the darkness. Serve him. Bring him through. Great thing happened the other day. About three days ago, uh, Sue got bitten by a dog. Great thing. Great thing. I think it was an act of God. I do, absolutely. We live in a cul-de-sac, and, and we, we say often, oh, but it's so hard. If only I could witness to our neighbors. If only I could, you know, if only I could get through to them. And, and one's been, you witnessed to a husband, didn't you? But he's died now, and now we're witnessing to his wife and so on. So a friend and a wife. Now our neighbor, her husband died, and we've never been able to witness to her, our very next door neighbor. And, um, and she's a nice lady, but we've never been able to spend any time with her. Anyway, her husband died last year, and she bought herself a dog. And the dog is a sausage dog. What's it called? A dashound, isn't it? And it's the meanest thing. It reminds me of my old foreman. It, 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 just bite anybody it sees. Anyway, so we can't see her, can we? Can't talk with her because this dog, it's just, it'll just, it's a monster. It's that big, it's a monster. It's an animal. Well, it is. Anyway, so I was sat doing something. I think I was just working on, on my message the other, other day. She goes off for a little walk, Sue, and she comes back, and all of a sudden the door opens and she throws off a shoe. I've been bitten, I've been bitten. And she saw the neighbor, and she bent down, and she said, she said hello, you know, how are you doing? Because the neighbor was doing something with the dog. And, uh, and the dog went for her ankle and, and bit her. So, I, what? Anyway, um, she sat there nursing the wounds. I'm sat there thinking, that's just terrible. That dog's going down, you know, it's, it's ruining the neighbor. I'm going to have that killed. When there's a knock on the door, it's the neighbor it's the neighbour knocking on the door. Can I come in? And so she come in and sit down. She says, I am so sorry about this dog. It has never happened. It, it has happened before, but it has never happened before. And, and what can I do for you? And, 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 and anyway, we sit down, have a cup of coffee, have a little chat together, and we're joking a little bit, and I'm talking about this, that, and the other, and, and Liverpool Football Club, because she supports Liverpool Football Club. When all of a sudden... We start talking uh, uh, about regions of the world and so on and, and what's happening right now. 
And, uh, and she says, well, it's all in the book of Revelation. Really? I said, it is. She says, oh, the book of Revelation talks about it. She says, I don't, I don't, I'm not very good at the Hebrew in the Old Testament, but book of Revelation. And I said, it's right. And I said, well, it's funny you should mention Revelation because Klopp is a Christian who manages uh, uh, Liverpool. She says, I know he is. She says, it's only Jesus that can change it, isn't it? Uh, Jesus? What? And all of a sudden, we've been thinking, how can we serve this cul-de-sac? And how can we get through to this woman when God sends out the dog to bite her? And she's in. And we're all serving the Lord together. And it's just brilliant. It was just a glorious moment. Ah. John 13, 1. Jesus knew, verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power. And he come from God and is now returning to God. So he got up from the meal that they were eating and he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and after he poured water into dish and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, Do you not realize now what I'm doing? But later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Unless I serve you, you have no part in me. Then Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, my hands, my head also. And then going down to verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done to you? He asked. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so. But that's what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So truly, I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. On the filthy streets, where animals are traipsed up and down, and there's dung and dirt and dust and filth. For people walking around the streets of Jerusalem, their feet filthy, And there's a meeting and a gathering in a room. They would have a servant. And that servant's job will be to wash the dirty feet of people that came along. Because sooner or later, they're going to lay down on the chaise lounge. Chaise lounge. How do you say it? Chaise lounge. On their cities. And they'd lay down and the feet would be, the head would be next to the foot of the person next to them. Filthy, smelly feet with dung on them, 
you don't do it. So a servant washes their feet. The servant makes sure everything's arranged. Everything's ready for the meeting, for the gathering. The servant makes everybody feel welcome and warm and create the environment. There was no servant there. Nobody to wash their feet. Who's going to be the first disciple to do it? Who's going to be the first disciple to stack the chairs? Who's going to be the first disciple to paint the walls? Who's going to be the first disciple to sort it out, get the culture, get the atmosphere right? Who's going to, who's going to be the first disciple to make everybody feel comfortable and at home and right and in the right place at the right time? Where's the servants? It's only Jesus that moved. Only Jesus amongst the disciples moved. They all took the place. He was the only one to move and see the task that had to be done. Picked up the towel and the water and knelt before them and washed the filth and the grime off their feet. No, you're not going to do it to me. If I can't serve you, you've got no part in me. And our relationship with God, with Jesus, with our Messiah is we have a part in him. Because he serves us and we serve him. You have no part in me unless I serve you. Then wash me entirely. Serve me to the ultimate. Serve me absolutely, he said to Jesus. Well, God has served us absolutely. Our Messiah has served us completely. And says, now you go and do what I've done for you. Serve one another. Do good to the household of faith, especially, the Bible says. I go to preach at a church every now and again, and there's a guy on the day, the very first time I went, there's a guy called Humphrey. And Humphrey is the most intelligent guy you'd ever wish to meet. He went to, he went to Cambridge and Highly, highly, highly educated, but is a chimney sweep. And as soon as I pull in on my first occasion into the car park, Humphrey, this guy, is stood there and he secured this car, car, car parking space because I've driven a long way for me, especially. And he waves me in, waves me in. I go in, he follows me into the church. The very first thing he does is take me to a seat. He goes then and gets me a drink of coffee. He gets me, brings it with a biscuit. And he gets me some water. For, and he attends me the whole time. I didn't ask him to do that. He just does it. The pastor knows he does it. The pastor's happy with him doing it. That's what he does. This highly... In, I haven't got a GCSE to my name. The only exam I've ever passed in my life is my driving test. Then I crashed the car the second day. This man, Cambridge, scientist, highly educated, is serving me. I went away, I never forgot it. And every time I go to the church, but he doesn't just do it for me. He does it for everybody that's a visitor that comes into that church. Humphrey and his team are serving them. Humphrey. I was so impressed when I got my inoculation, my jab. 
I love it. I take jabs. I, you know, I, it, my view is just jab me again. Just, just jab me. Just, I'm desperate for another jab. You know, is it the fifth we're on now? Six? Just do it again. Love it. Do you know why? I went for my first jab quite nervously at the Shepton Mallet race course, wherever it is, show ground. And the row of volunteers just went on forever. And they were managing us all and getting us through and making us feel at home and at peace and sitting down at the right and taking our names and addresses. And I, I, I was overwhelmed in this beautiful glow of servanthood. They served me. They served me. And I loved it. I just loved it. Servants have an aura about them. We are called to serve. Mark 9.35 says, Anybody who wants to be the first must be the very last. And he must be the servant of all. Doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or a scientist or a teacher or a businessman or a motor mechanic or an engineer or a daffodil picker, a housewife, a gardener, a pastor, a cleric, a hairdresser, an artist, an author, a poet, a waiter, a chef, everybody, all of us, all of us in the kingdom of God have one status. We are servants. Servants, serving the servant, Savior. John 12, 1, 7. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. You know, the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here at dinner, here dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Brilliant. Martha served. Martha served. She served Jesus. She's looking after everybody. She served. That was her role. She was serving. While Lazarus amongst them was reclining at the table with him, and then Mary, her sister, decided to do something completely different. There's a sister making food, looking after them all, serving them, being busy, got the gift of hospitality, no doubt, and it's been manifest. But Mary took about a pint of pure nard, which is a very, very expensive perfume that you do not waste. It's worth a ton of money. And she poured it on Jesus' feet. Not only did she pour it on Jesus' feet, then she decided that she would wipe his feet, not with a towel, but with a hair. Now, a hair should have been up. It shouldn't have been down. But it was down. And she used it like a towel. And the aroma filled the house with fragrance. The fragrance of the perfume. She'd gone to the ultimate extreme to show her love for Jesus and how, how she wanted to serve him. But her sister was doing the main job, serving. How can I serve him? 
I will bow down. I will pour the oil that I have over his feet. Will he be offended by that? And then I will wipe it as a lowly, the lowest of the low, like a slave. I'll wash his feet with my hair. What a story. The greatest upon you will be the least, and you'll be the servant of many. And up jumps Judas, Judas, the treasurer, who was later going to betray him. Why wasn't this perfume sold, he said, and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. A year's wages just been poured out on Jesus' feet. Didn't say this because he cared about the poor, incidentally, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. One last verse I'm going to read to you. Whatever happened to the day of preferring one another? The Bible teaches us to prefer one another. Uh, In these days of self-reliance, self-determination, self-ambition, self-dependence, self-promotion, self-advancement, these are those days. What happened to the scripture that we in the kingdom of God should prefer one another? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Prefer one another. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Serve one another. Let me ask you these questions quickly. Can I really trust God to be his servant? Can I really trust him with my future and my life and my resources? Can I trust him? Number two, do then I really know this God? Do I know what he wants of me? Would I know if he called me? What is it that comes first in my life? Me, my partner, my job, my lifestyle. What is it that takes first place? What are my life priorities? Could I recall five of them? What occupies most of my time? What occupies most of my thinking? I wonder what occupies the time of the thinking of a servant. What do I spend most of my money on? 
me, my family, my ambition, my leisure? Am I willing to become a servant of God? Even though I'm a believer, am I willing to become a servant? Can I today make my servanthood the central pillar of all else? And am I willing to discipline and disciple my life to the expectations of a servant ministry? And am I willing to serve others so that they might know God and see him through me? And that they might outgrow me to reach their fullest potential. I will serve them to that end. And am I now ready to commit to the small and the menial task, however messy, however unseen? You see, I'm here this morning, not because I'm a self-made man. I'm here because of my wife, who has served me. I'm here because of my mum. My parents have served me. My pastors have served me. Bob Gordon has influenced my life. A guy called Leslie Wigglesworth had a great part in my life. John Lancaster, great part in my life. My friend John Glass, great part in my life. David here has got a great part in my life. I have been shaped by the servants. I am shaped by the servants. They deserve the credit, not me. I think I've said enough. I've got more to say. I want us to stand. Servant isn't a servant unless we serve with joy, attentiveness, willingness, honesty, with humbleness, resourcefulness, faithfully, patiently, boldness, and willingness. Servants are just asked to do and to do it for God. He's saying this morning, please, please, I've died for you. I've washed your feet. Now become my servant and you'll be the greatest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're not my slave, you're my servant.